I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people asked me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me slash course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course. My name is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. I'm a global connector, networking concierge, and coach. For two decades, I believed that my ADHD was a disability. Only at the age of 41 would I come to realize that my ADHD was an incredible asset. And when I leaned into that, I achieved greater success than ever before. ADHD is the engine behind my own success as a networker and coach. Over the past few years, I've spoken with thousands of entrepreneurs and found that many of them have some kind of neurodiverse diagnosis, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, and more. Like me, for many of them, their neurodiversity is indeed the very source of their success. On this show, we will change the narrative on neurodiversity. I've heard enough about the challenges and how hard it can be. I want to hear about how awesome we are. It's time to start talking about how our neurodiversity can be an asset for ourselves, our communities, and our businesses. It's time to start talking about neurodiversity superpowers. Welcome back to the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. And our guest today is Wes Cipolla. Wes is an award-winning freelance journalist based in Berks County, Pennsylvania. Zapola is not ashamed to be on the autism spectrum, and he believes that it has led to the career path that he is currently on. So welcome to the show, Wes. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Um, so you. tell me a bit about your, your success in journalism and, and, uh, and what you've done. Well, the funny thing is, it was never really supposed to turn out this way. From my earliest childhood, I was always interested in writing and storytelling, and I would sometimes make a fake newspaper on my computer and write stories about what was happening in school and things like that. I was always fascinated with how newspapers worked and writing and such, but I never ever expected to actually go into that industry until the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade. That summer, I heard that the Reading Eagle newspaper had a section called Voices. It's a truly amazing section that I've never seen an equivalent of it anywhere in America. I'm sure it may exist, but it was a section of the newspaper that was written by and for teenagers. Teenagers would be paid to write news stories, their own takes on what was happening in the world, current events, things that were happening that mattered to teenagers. And they would do everything that a normal newspaper would do. Movie reviews, feature articles, profiles of interesting teenagers in the area. It was a truly amazing weekly news magazine by and for teenagers. And when I found out about it, my parents encouraged me to join. So I did. And at first I contributed movie reviews and the odd opinion piece here and there. But as time went on, I really enjoyed the challenge that news articles provided the challenge of traveling and doing research, meeting new people, asking tough questions, and just taking in everything I was seeing, the sights, the sounds, the smells of each unique place, and turning that into an interesting story that not only educated people, 
but encouraged them to want to read more and actually enjoy what they were reading. Mm. At the time, I was reading a lot of articles in big magazines like Time and The New Yorker in order to see what literary journalism and these in-depth features look like. And to me, those were a major source of inspiration for my reporting and voices. But not only was it the challenge that inspired me, but the fact that it allowed me to tell a true story in a creative way. And to me, it was always easier than writing fiction because you didn't have to make anything up. These people's interesting stories were taking place right before my eyes. And most people were excited to be in the newspaper and have their stories be told. And that is something that has stuck with me even to this day. Fascinating. Uh, and, and so, and then of course, uh, you, you know, you're the editor-in-chief, editor-in-chief of the, at Albright College of the newspaper there. And that was a difficult year when I was editor-in-chief because that was at the height of the coronavirus pandemic. The newspaper had already been struggling due to we couldn't get the funds in order to get the paper and ink we needed to actually make print issues. So everything had to be digital. So it was tough rounding up staff members and trying to coordinate everybody so we could have articles published on our website. So really, as editor-in-chief, I was just in charge of the website and getting everyone's articles to be published as blog posts. Mm. It wasn't easy to get the Albrightian's name out there since we didn't have our print edition like we had before. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and so so you're, you're a freelance journalist now? Yes, and I absolutely love it. Uh, so what sort of journalism, what sort of uh, stories you cover now, and, oh. and where do those – What I like is that I never really know what I'm doing until it happens. I have a very diverse range of things that I cover. I cover the arts and culture, local art gallery openings, theater productions, etc. I cover basically any interesting events that are happening. Recently, I went to a, well, I cover religion very often. Recently, you're familiar with the story of the town of Centralia, Pennsylvania? No, I'm not. Well, Centralia is one of those small coal mining towns in the northeastern coal region of Pennsylvania, and it became worldwide infamous because in 1962, a mine fire started to burn uncontrollably underground. And as the years went on, this fire caused toxic fumes to be released in people's homes, and it caused the ground to become unstable. So the entire town had to be abandoned and evacuated. Of course, a handful of very stubborn people refuse to leave. And right now, the official population of Centralia is four. But to me, the really fascinating story is that all these buildings had to be abandoned and demolished, and everyone had to leave, except for the Ukrainian Catholic Church, which was built on the hill above the town and therefore was not built on top of the coal fire. Mm -hmm. And so every year... This church, due to its significance and the metaphor of that, the church built on the mountain that managed to survive essentially hell on earth, Mm -hmm. that metaphor fascinated me. And it also fascinated the Archbishop of Kiev in Ukraine, who designated it as a pilgrimage site a few years ago. So every year there is a pilgrimage held at the church. And recently I attended that service and covered it. Recently I attended a picnic in Pottsville, Pennsylvania's historic cemetery. Mm-hmm. I enjoy stories like that involving local history and any colorful offbeat people or events happening because people think small towns are boring. They really are not. There's a lot of interesting people and a lot of interesting stuff going on in small towns. 
-hmm. just got to have an open mind and be able to make those connections with people to see the excitement that's going on. Absolutely. I can, I completely agree with that. There's so much. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people said they get in their heads. The small towns are boring. But those are my favorite things to cover those quirky offbeat small town yep. events and people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so as, as you mentioned, you're, you're on the autism spectrum. Yes. And how does that benefit your journalism work? Well, to me, I think that's the reason I got into journalism in the first place. Mm -hmm. I have heard that people on the autism spectrum tend to have certain subjects that they have an extremely intense fixation on, mm -hmm. and they try to learn as much about it as possible. And for me, that was journalism. I loved learning about it when I was in high school working in the Reading Eagle newsroom with Voices. Honestly, Voices was the best education that a young journalist could possibly receive. They mm -hmm. taught you everything. Everything I pretty much everything I learned in college was just a repeat of what I had learned hands on in voices. It was an incredible education. But even before that, there was this one book in my elementary school library that really changed my life. The book was called We Interrupt This Broadcast. And what fascinated me about it was not the book, but it came with the collection of CDs which were full of real-life historical broadcasts of historic news stories, everything from the Hindenburg to D-Day to 9-11. And these recordings of historic breaking news really interested me because, as the book said, it's like this heart-stopping moment when you hear those words, we interrupt this broadcast, it means you're basically going from a normal day to a moment where history will be forever changed. Everyone remembers where they were when they hear these words and they hear this breaking news story mm -hmm. that changes the trajectory of all of our lives. Absolutely. So capturing these historic moments and sort of the chaos and the adrenaline that comes with these life-changing events and the confusion that often comes with them. And that, that single moment when history shifts, that really, really fascinated me. Hmm, interesting. And I, I do think it's interesting that that uh, you know, over the last 20 years, the, the re-interrupt this broadcast breaking news concept has been so overused. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, they interrupted the show like something was happening. It was a bit, they were landing on the moon or it was nuclear war was starting. And then by the 90s, they'd, they'd interrupt the broadcast for a bit lower of a standard. And nowadays... You turn on a lot of the news programs just as breaking news continuously. Yeah, exactly. The phrase breaking, breaking news, news is there so is there all the time, so it's pretty much lost its meaning. But that's a consequence of the technological advancements that we have in the world today, mm -hmm. that we can have news updates literally by the second. Yeah. But we have seen those really those really significant breaking news moments, like just last week with the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. I was glued to my TV as that was happening because I found it so fascinating how the death of a single person who many of us have never met, mm -hmm. can, I think it's so interesting and kind of cool that a person can have so much impact around the globe. Mm. And seeing history change before your very eyes watching the news. And it is one of those moments that people will remember where they were because it's a huge shift because we've known her for all our lives and she's part of the fabric of history. And that's something that really interests me. I love interviewing old people. Mm -hmm. The oldest person I ever interviewed was 106 years old. And I love talking to her because she knew, remembered so much. 
she had memories dating back to the time of the Titanic. Wow. She is pretty much living history, or mm-hmm. she was living history, a connection to so many disparate eras. I love interviewing people like that. Yeah. Who have a lot of insight to share. Yep. Uh, and so you, you mentioned in the, in the notes you sent that, um, you know, with the, the internet has kind of changed the way we communicate and altered how we express ourselves in, mm-hmm. in these days through writing and other means. Uh, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your thoughts on that. Yes. Well, it's especially true for people like myself on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. People on the spectrum have been able to reach out and find and befriend like-minded people mm-hmm. and people who share their interests thanks to the internet, people who they never would have met otherwise. And I'm no different from that. But the interesting thing is, of course, for many years on the internet, autism has been used as an insult and has been kind of misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And yet in the past few years, what we have been seeing is autistic people, thanks to the democratic power that social media gives us, we have been able to reclaim the narrative on autism and show the diversity of our individual experiences with it, while also forming a community of people who understand each other. Yeah, that, that's that's a huge thing. I I can even personally, I didn't really understand what autism was until relatively recently, because prior to the, as you say, democratization, when I was in school, I when I heard autism, the only example I'd seen were the the most severe cases, so you know, nonverbal autism, and that I think was the impression a lot of people had, because that's what. You know, if it was in the media at all, that's what the media impression was. That's actually another thing. Going back to the, you know, the concept of people on the spectrum having hyperfixations and really being given mm-hmm. to learning about a certain topic. I actually learned something about the portrayal of, I'm very interested in the portrayal of autism and autistic traits in the media. And ever since I went to Graceland last month, I've had a hyperfixation on Elvis and reading about his life. You know, these interests sometimes come so suddenly and you're just Mm -hmm. voraciously reading about some random topic. Well, his life is so fascinating. And what I found out is that the first ever use of the word autism in a movie was a movie starring Elvis. Really? The movie was in 1969. It was called Change of Habit. And it was about Elvis as a doctor. And there's a scene where he actually cures a girl of autism by hugging her really tightly. (laughs) <laughs> this form of therapy was no, I know it is funny, but at the same time, it's a little disturbing because this form of therapy was known as rage reduction. And it was, of course, back then, autism wasn't nearly as understood as it, as it is today. So you have these really archaic therapies that show that people didn't really understand autism. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show the seismic shifts of how it was portrayed back then versus how it is portrayed in the media today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely a very dramatic difference. And and I, I remember when I when I first heard about the idea of the autistic community and you know autistic voices, and I'm like, what are you talking about? This wait a minute. And that's what I discovered is a much broader spectrum than I'd been led to believe. But um, I was always ashamed to sort of admit that I had autism and talk about it because that was something that was taught to me from an early age. Mm-hmm. That it's not something other people have to know. It's something that people will think, I don't want to be just thought of and pigeonholed because of it. I don't want people to get the wrong idea about me or just define me solely by that. But it is something that has had a big impact on my life. Mm -hmm. 
and at the same time, hearing other kids in school make autism jokes and sort of not understand it, it, that's the kind of thing you just have to listen to in silence because I was not ready to make myself known. I still felt a little shy and embarrassed of it. But at this point, I just feel like that's their problem. This is a part of who I am. It's not really something I can change. So why do I have to be ashamed of it? I like it. And I do believe it is something that has helped me go on the career path that I am now because my intense, I've always been the kind of person to focus on the details Mm -hmm. as opposed to the big picture. And I think that has to do with my autism. I've always been hyper-focused on the little details. And I think that's something that's helped me in my career. Writing about those little details and analyzing a subject and really getting into the nitty gritty I think that has improved my writing significantly. Especially in the, the media. I feel like the media could benefit from a lot more autistic reporters who, mm-hmm. you know, who fix it, who really want to know, who fix it on a topic, who go deep into it. Because so much the challenge of the media is that it's all surface level. It's all 30-second sound bites. It's all quick hits. Well, are you familiar, well, are you familiar with The Onion, the satirical yes. news? Well, they had a spoof video of an autistic reporter Mm-hmm. And the joke was that he was stereotypically extremely blunt and to the point. Yep. But I think that being that sometimes, of course, being blunt has helped me. Yeah. Like just being able to sit down person to person and ask questions. And most people, thankfully, have been receptive to answering questions. I try to get to the point as quickly as possible, you know. And that's something that journalism often values. Mm-hmm. Like, When I was a kid, whenever someone died, we always tried to soften the blow by using the phrase passed away. Yeah. And when I wrote passed away in a story, my editor back in voices, Stacy Jones, and I got to shout out Stacy because she was the biggest mentor I ever had. She taught me everything, not just about journalism, but about going about your life Mm -hmm. and going about your career. She was a major inspiration. And she said, we don't use the word passed away. We just say die, you know, to the point. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and, and and I think I think some of it is is a matter of understanding when people understand that you're not blunt because you're trying to be rude or because you don't care, mm-hmm. you're blunt because you're just that's how you are. I always try to be friendly with people. Mm-hmm. I notice that when you are polite, you're way more likely to get a positive response from well, people. Of course, yes. And most people want to be in the newspaper. Or at least they're not angry at you. You know, <laughs> some people are shy, of course, but it's nothing personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's like so. So with my ADHD, I'm not very good at things like follow up, thank you notes, those kinds of things. But I'm very upfront about that, and so people don't expect a thank you note from me. So they don't take it personally because they know that's just not how I function. I try to provide value in other ways. I think the same way, you know, having a reporter who's just straight shooting, this is my question, this is what I want to know. If I was being interviewed, I would be more comfortable with that because whenever I'm being interviewed, I'm like, okay, wait, what's the angle here? What are they trying to do? What, what, what are they going to squeeze out of my story? And I'd much rather have someone who is just very blunt, very straightforward. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what I need to know. Um, I'd be, I would have much more faith that the mm-hmm. story was going to be the story I want to tell as the... As That's the another other. thing that autism has helped me with, I think. Mm-hmm. finding the angle because a story I think is nothing without the angle. It's another thing Stacy taught me. You want yep. a unique angle, something that will get the reader's attention 
and also justify why does this story need to be told? Is it coming from a perspective we haven't seen before? Is it something that we haven't read about often in the past? And I believe that my ability to parse out those details uh, and also people with autism such as myself tend to enjoy routine. Mm-hmm. They tend to enjoy having a strict sort of guideline and journalism allows me to have that routine and be able to figure things out. Every story is basically the same. I try to put it together like it is a short story. Mm-hmm. I want to have a strong opening that gets people's attention and makes them want to read further. And I try to have a coherent narrative with a strong beginning, middle and end that leaves people that try, you know, that is memorable. And that routine that every story has these same components, that just is so soothing to my autistic brain for some reason. But at the same time, there's infinite creative possibilities that I enjoy exploring. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, so I certainly see the value of structure. I can see the value of structure for everyone, but especially uh, with, with the autistic neurotype. Uh, and now, so, so what is the value for that for the reader of having that kind of predictable structure? Well, again, I tend to come at it from a literary perspective because I always loved English class in school. And another major influence in my life was my English teacher, Mrs. Taylor. And I got to shout Mrs. Taylor because she is the woman who really taught me how to love literature and taught me how to really respect and practice the craft of writing compelling writing mm-hmm. and understanding it. Yeah. So that literary approach I try to take, again, the literary journalism of new magazines like The New Yorker was a big influence. So that structure of storytelling, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end, trying to pepper it with colorful dialogue, trying to capture, I really enjoy capturing the local dialects of Pennsylvania Mm. because it's a part of my culture and it's something I've always loved. Like my grandmother is Pennsylvania Dutch. So instead of saying, turn off the light, she'll say out in the light. And instead of saying, don't be grouchy, she'll say, don't be grexy. And those are parts of our culture that I have great appreciation for. So, and it's also a great way of capturing personalities through writing. I really love reading stuff like Mark Twain, you know, and how good he is at capturing people's personalities through how they talk. But of course he was making stuff up and I don't have to make anything up. I just hear the words that people say and people, I love the colorful and interesting people I've gotten to meet along the way. And the language is so interesting to me. Now the way that people, the ways that people talk and the eloquent things that they say, I, that's what I love about my job. I love it. Uh, and so, so you mentioned some of the challenges you had, you know, listening to, to autistic jokes in school and, and things like that. Um, what is, I, I guess you could answer the question one of two ways, either what would you want to tell your younger self, or if someone's listening who maybe they're in high school and they either are diagnosed autism or they suspect they might, um, what would your lesson be to them from, from where you are here? I honestly don't know because every single person's experience is different. Mm. So I don't know, but what I would say is, of course, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. You can't worry too much about what other people think of you, especially Mm. in high school. You can't try to conform to other people because you always will. And it may sound like it's impossible. I know it was to me at one point. You always will find your tribe. 
you always will find people who understand and respect you. It may be hard to find them, but they do exist. And the nice thing about the internet is that it's made it so much easier to find that. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, I really buried myself into my work. Of course, I wasn't a social butterfly. I did have friends, but I felt that my work was how I would be known and respected. So I really you know, went gung-ho in this, my schoolwork and writing for voices and all that. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that is what defined who I am. And to a significant part, it still is a part of what I am proud of with what I have accomplished. But we need to separate, this is not you. This is just something that you do. You have value as a human being outside of this. Mm-hmm. With the ways you interact with people and making people laugh, making people happy, sharing love, that is another big part of you. It's not just how good you do in school and your grades. That's all important, but that's not your worth. And the jokes that people make, screw them. You don't need any of that. You don't have to worry about what they think because in the end, looking back, they don't matter. Mm. What does matter is whether or not you were able to find people who support you because in the end, those are the only people who matter. Good message. I like that. It's a cliche, something you can read on a Hallmark card probably, but the reason why is because it is true. Mm -hmm. And that is another thing that Mrs. Taylor taught me, the importance of the truth in storytelling. Yeah. Getting to the truth and the basic lessons of human nature and the important things that you can learn from life. And that's another reason I love journalism, because so many of my stories tend to be the same. I talk to people in all different walks of life, all different ethnicities, social classes, genders, sexual orientation, but the message is always the same. It's always about the importance of family, Mm. the importance of community, the importance of doing what you love, and the importance of having a healthy self-esteem, and the importance of having something you can be proud of. And I'm grateful that I have my writing that I can be proud of. That was some powerful messages. Thank you. So is there anything else, anything else I have not asked you that you would like to uh, like to share before we wrap up? Honestly, no, I thank you so much. I could honestly spend hours, even days talking about all the interesting things that I've gotten to write about and all the people I've gotten to meet. But of course, that would take forever. So I won't take <laughs> up too much of your time. Yep. Well, but yeah, what's what's uh, can you share one or two of the most interesting? Well, I really enjoy share? writing about religion. Ever since I took an AP art history class in high school, Mm -hmm. the religious art, the the sheer passion and beauty and drama of religious art and how the visuals tell the story of a particular faith, that really interested me. And therefore, I've begun writing about religion because it is such a motivator in people's lives, especially in Pennsylvania, especially in small towns where the church is such a major force of community that brings people together. So I wrote a series about various religious denominations in my area where I write about Christ- Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, Sikh, Hindu, atheist, even paganism, all of these different faiths. And I interviewed people and I met so I had so many interesting stories. One of my favorites was the St. Pauline Center in the small town of Coltmont. St. Pauline was a saint who lived in Brazil and did lots of wonderful work with the poor. And when she died, her remains were sent to three different people, the Pope, 
her shrine in Brazil and her cousin who lived in Coltmont. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, Sweden's a small town in Pennsylvania have a shrine dedicated to a saint and you can go and see her relic and you can touch it and supposedly it brings healing to people. And there's so much art and so much passion and pain associated with St. Pauline, so much hope that seeing those stories play out with people making pilgrimages and seeing the amount of attention that she receives as a sort of mother figure to all of her devotees really fascinated me. It's like Lourdes in France, but mm -hmm. it's, instead of France, it's in Pennsylvania. It's like, a, wow. it's really interesting. That's really cool. Thank um, you. So, so if people want to learn more about you, where can they go to do that? Well, I have my own Wix site portfolio, mm -hmm. West Sepola, W-E-S-C-I-P-O-L-L-A, dot w-i-x site dot com and if you want to know what i'm doing with articles and such you can follow me on facebook at wesley sapola very good and of course that link will be uh, both those links will be in the show notes as well so if people didn't catch the spelling they can just go in the show notes and click on that well wes thank you for being on the show this has been great i've loved listening thank to you so much for having me it's been a real privilege thank you for listening to what i have to say and I, it's funny because this is the other way around for me. Usually I'm the one asking yeah. the questions and I'm really grateful that you've taken the time to ask me about these things that mean a lot to me. Oh, good. So thank yeah. you. I'm glad of the chance to share. It, it, as a podcaster, I'm, I'm on both sides of the mic all mm -hmm. the time, interviewing people, being interviewed by people. Um, but yeah, I, yeah podcasting is a very modern platform where it's so easy to have a podcast versus traditional journalism where there's usually there's the, asker of questions and the receiver the answerer of questions and usually they are not the same so it's one of those new things in the a future. lot of my work is in print mm -hmm. and people say that print is dying and in some respects local newspapers have suffered extensively especially since the 2008 recession but in my work in the town of Pottsville writing for their newspaper mm -hmm. I've noticed that the people of Pottsville love their newspaper yeah. and they're passionate about it there's still a healthy respect for local news. Yeah. And I'm happy to say that unlike so many other small town local newspapers, we are still family owned after all these years. And we still have lots of local coverage that other newspapers unfortunately don't have. Yeah, yeah local papers are hugely valuable and their loss is, mm -hmm. it's, it's not because they're not viable. It's because they can't make 70% profits. But thankfully, the newspaper in Pottsville has survived. Yeah, that's correct. So many others have unfortunately failed. And I think the reason why is because we have very strong community ties. Yeah. These are towns where pretty much everyone knows each other. You know, people. Mm -hmm. That's what I that's another phrase I always hear. It's a place where everybody knows your name. It's a place yeah. where everyone knows each other and looks out for each other. In a community like that, newspapers do matter. Yeah, that's hugely important. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for, for sharing share your story of sharing other people's stories. It's been great to have you on. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Goodbye. This has been the Neurodiversity Superpowers Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Sign up to get every episode at neurodiversitysuperpowers.me. Join our Facebook group on facebook.com slash groups slash neurodiversity superpowers. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.
I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.